0: Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Shine two two o four. You're there. Well, good morning. New year two double o four. I hope you've all got uh, New Year's resolutions. They say eighty percent of New Year's resolutions are broken on the first three days. So uh, maybe not not to have uh, a New Year's resolution. <laughs> Sorry, that's making a noise. Anyway, it is good to be here this morning, and I do trust you had a, a good break, but it's so nice to see everybody, not everyone's back, the light's following me, no it's not. Anyway, we started a, a new series, or standard, kicked it off uh, on Christmas Eve, am I doing something wrong? No, no, just Okay, and uh, it started, and let's go and have a look there in John 3:16, where... We speak about, for God so loved the world that he gave. And so that's the little series we're going through in the next few days, few weeks. And so thank you for the wet table. Very lovely. And uh, I hope your New Year hasn't started like mine. I, uh, I bumped into Stacey Ronald yesterday. Stacy and Ivan. And uh, I called her Sushi, and uh, I called Bert Ronald. So it was a good start. A very, I'm very good with names. And so I thought it was a great start to the, to the week, to the year. And anyway, let's hope that things don't uh, carry on going like that. What did I say? John 3.16. So that's where we're talking. We're, let's read it together. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And so the the context of this is that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Nicodemus is a rabbi, and uh, he comes to Jesus, not sure why at night, but it would appear that he was embarrassed and he didn't want... Uh, the rest of his Pharisees to, to see him. And so he approaches and this discussion ensues, ensues is that the right word, uh, about being born again. And Jesus drops this, this verse down, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And uh, whoever believes in him is not condemned. And so if you remember, Stan spoke about four gifts for the coming of Jesus. Number one, salvation. Two, his love. Three, Jesus himself. And fourth, the faith, the way it, it comes. And there are obviously many, many more. But I want to speak about a gift that is mentioned in, that, in those two verses, or the lack thereof. And that's the gift of conviction. And uh, it speaks about condemnation, and that's their opposites. They are not the same, they are completely different the condemnation and the conviction of God. And let's speak about that. I want to talk about the conviction. And some of these thoughts come from John Piper, in case you think uh, I'm clever. Some of them, just he just mentions them, and I'm going to embellish them and make them more. So, as I say, verse 16. It says in verse 17, God did not send His Son to condemn the world. And that is a very freeing and wonderful thing. But what is condemnation? And uh, it's really just a continuing feeling of guilt about sin. Continue to feel guilty about sin that has already been confessed or circumstances or occurrences out of your control. So it's condemnation. It's out of your control. You continue to feel guilty even if you've confessed your sin. And uh, then you know, man, that's condemnation. And it's the accuser's way. It's the enemy coming along and saying, man, I'm going to condemn you because of what you've done. Condemnation speaks about being unable to escape the guilt and the shame of what you've done. And uh, one gets condemned to the gallows for That when the death penalty gets pronounced over you. You cannot get away from it. That You are condemned. You are going to go to the gallows. And all that's left is this guilt and shame. There's no pardon. There's no forgiveness. It's just guilt and shame, and you die. And uh, we've preached on guilt and shame. Stan and Hilton preached about it at the beginning of last year, March last year. Go and have a look at it. It's an amazing listen. And uh, a condemned person is one who is racked with this guilt and shame all the time. It's not God's way and it's not God's plan. God's got a different way and a better way. And God's plan is conviction. So we get condemned when we don't follow the Father, when we don't run to the Father, but His plan is conviction. It's a correction and a guidance. It's a difference between condemnation and conviction. It's just correction and guidance. I'm not talking about a convict. I'm not talking about going to court and you get found guilty and then you get convicted. I'm not talking about that. It's not a not a law thing. It's a leading of the right way, God's way, away from destruction and sin. That's conviction. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit coming upon us, convicting us in my soul. I have sinned and I need to repent. The Collins Dictionary says this. It's a state of being convinced. The Holy Spirit comes upon us and convinces us that we are wrong. And it's the case of sinning and the need to repent. I have sinned and I need to repent. That's conviction. It comes upon us. We know that we have to do that. And it's the only the Holy Spirit... That does that if we go and have a look in John chapter 16 verse 7 to 11 amazing thing if you I, I tell you what this is a good resolution that we bring our Bibles to church not devices they say you, bring, you you read 30% faster out of the black and white of a book than on a device just saying you don't have to of course but it would be fantastic if you did So in verse 7 it says, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, Jesus speaking, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Condemnation is for those that don't believe in Jesus. It is meant not for people. It is meant for the devil and his cohorts. You and I were never meant to be condemned. You and I are meant to be convicted so that we repent and come to the Father. It's a wonderful, radical thing. The Holy Spirit convicts us. Not any other reason but to come to Him. The devil will never come to Jesus, therefore he stands condemned, he will go to hell. Let's not be the one that joins him in the same fate. And then the most freeing, wonderful scripture the world has ever heard, ever, 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 is in Romans 8 chapter or, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Now there is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You cannot be condemned if you are in Jesus. In John 3, 17, it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, I've read it, but to save the world. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned because they have not believed in the name of God, His own and only Son, Jesus. In 1 John 3, verse 20, If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. Basically saying, even if I condemn myself, Jesus doesn't condemn me. Isn't that amazing? Our mind plays games with us all the time but Jesus will not condemn us. And then in Psalm 34, 22 the Lord will rescue his servants no one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. I remember a lady in our block of flats said, isn't it amazing Nostradamus spoke about the tower and I can't even remember the the prophecy and I said, isn't it wonderful that The Bible says Jesus is a strong tower. We run to him and we will be saved. That's more important than any other prophecy that Nostradamus ever said or ever will say. It's an incredible thing. So, friends, don't confuse satanic condemnation with godly conviction. Conviction is a necessary feeling that we should cultivate. Ask God, convict us, Lord. I want to act under your conviction condemnation is a lie that we should throw off conviction comes from the Holy Spirit that alone is enough to say man Lord I want to be convicted he grieves over our sin Ephesians 4 30 says do not grieve the Holy Spirit in your sin says actually let me that's paraphrasing rubbish do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of righteousness the day of redemption Ephesians four thirty two. The Holy Spirit sits with us, and He grieves when we sin. So He brings conviction. Condemnation comes from the devil, who will do anything to drive a wedge between us and the Father. It says in Revelation twelve ten. The accuser accuses believers night and day to condemn them. The enemy condemns us, not God. Conviction is like a pain signal that leads us away from danger. In an amazing story, Dr. Paul Brand speaks of a, a, a story of uh, people with leprosy. They had dry leprosy, so their, their fingers and toes and limbs didn't fall off. They were quite fine, but they lost feeling in their hands. And he couldn't understand why they, all their fingers were bitten off and their toes were bitten off in poverty areas. And he found out pain is a gift. Rats were coming in the night and eating the people because they couldn't feel lost their fingers unnecessarily but pain is a gift sometimes we feel convicted that's painful man we've got to heed that pain and say lord what is it that you want for me condemnation on the other hand is like an anesthetic it leaves us feeling numb and helpless if you are feeling numb and helpless friends you are under condemnation and you need to come out of it with conviction and come to the father but as different as these two experiences are they're sometimes similar, and uh, we can confuse them because conviction and condemnation beg, both make people grieve over their sin. We grieve over it, even in condemnation. And uh, let's, let's go and have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7 in verse 8. The downside of this is you actually have to know your Bible. If you use a black and white piece of paper... Otherwise, in your device, it's very quick and easy. But uh, so the one leads to death, condemnation, and the other leads to life. And so, if you look at Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 8, it says, "Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you may you were made sorry." but because your sorrow led to repentance, conviction. For your, you became sorrowful as God intended and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death, condemnation. Simple, really. One leads to life, the other leads to death. And the grief can look so similar Especially in the early stages. So, how do we tell the difference? Easily and simply. Condemnation, friends, is vague, sometimes hateful, and hopeless. And what do I mean by vague? Satan often brings feelings of condemnation that are vague about what I need to do next. It's very clear when we've sinned, it's what to do next that's important. And we can simply feel something is wrong with me. Think of Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve sin. They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? They've sinned. They don't know what to do about it. So what they do, they grab a fig leaf and they cover themselves up. Then they hide. They don't know what to do. They, they It's, it's not, they're not clear. Satan has led them into sin, but he hasn't showed them a way out. And it takes God coming into the garden saying, son, where are you? Calls, calls Adam. Knows exactly where Adam is, but calls him, brings conviction upon Adam, slaughters an animal, sheds blood for Adam's forgiveness of his sin, and covers him with skin. The first demonstration of God's grace coming in with an animal. The death of an animal. And Adam and Eve didn't know how to fix it. And Satan subtly does the same thing. We don't know what to do when we sin and he can fill us with this ongoing shame. We have shame that comes upon us, and it cripples us. No idea what to do. Condemnation, friends, does not point to Christ. It rather, it keeps us pointing back to myself and my sin, and what can I do? And it's nothing. We feel that we know something's gotta change, but we've got no helpful ideas of what to do about it. It's a wild thing. Adam and Eve were helpless and confused, absolutely clueless, and they took God to bring conviction and repentance came in. So it's sometimes vague. It's always hateful. Satan cannot steal your salvation, but he can steal your joy. Your joy gets it disappears under condemnation. He will hurt you, he will not help you, he will burden you, he will not bless you. Condemnation is like spiritual waterboarding, they say. Waterboarding is when you get a mask covered over your face, a sack, and they pour water over you and it feels like you're drowning. It's exactly that feel. It feels like you're drowning in your sin. In, in Zechariah 3.1 with Joshua the high priest, he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan was at this right-hand side accusing him all the time, confounding him. You've sinned. You've done this. You've done the next. But actually we need to go to the Father. We feel hopeless. It makes us think, I'm a lost cause. I'm useless. No one wants me. No one likes me. And my sin is going to entangle me forever. I'll never change. God hates me. He doesn't care about me. He has cast me off. If you're feeling that, you're feeling condemnation. And it's a lie. In Job 2 verse 9, Job's wife. So Job has had everything taken away from him. His children have all been, are all dead. He's got no more wealth. They said he was a super wealthy guy. He's got no wealth. He's got boils all over him. His wife says, man, why don't you just curse God and die? There's no way out. Job says, no, no, no. There is a way out. I will not stop praising the Lord. There is no hope in the grief that Satan brings. Condemnation, friends, is always a lie for Christians. So what's the way out? The way out is conviction. It's very clear. Condemnation can feel like a cloud of shame hanging over you. It never goes away. You can't explain it, but conviction is as clear as anything. Conviction is a word that comes and it says stop doing that, do something else. Do another way, and the way out is to come to me. Let's go and have a look. In, in one Samuel twenty-four verse five, it's a clear path conviction. It's clear to you. It moves towards repentance. In one Samuel twenty-four verse five, it's the account of David. Saul is running. Saul is chasing David. David is running away. And Saul goes and uh, is sleeping, and David gets a part of the uh, of his robe, and he cuts it off. And deep conviction comes upon him because God says, don't touch my anointed. God has anointed Saul. And David realizes, I've touched God's anointed. Repentance comes immediately. Immediately. Why? Because he's convicted that he's done wrong. What is conviction? It's clear. It's simple. It's helpful, hopeful, and full of love. God wants the best for us. He convicts you To convince you of a better way and me he's getting your attention to protect you and bless you that's all it is praise god for his correction if you look in psalm 32 it's a lovely song about uh, the david that david writes in psalm 32 verse 3 it says when i kept silent my bones wasted away Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Conviction was upon him. And then I acknowledged my sin and did not cover up my iniquity. says, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. It's an incredibly wonderful thing that we can get forgiveness running to the Father. And then lastly, it's restoring. It doesn't leave you not knowing which way to go. It brings one to trust God, repent, and run to a merciful Savior. It's a beautiful thing, and we can rejoice in it. Do not get stuck in the mud and paralysis of shame. The enemy would have you sitting there. If you remember Jesus, he reminded Peter. Peter does the worst thing he could ever hope or imagine. Says to Jesus, I'll never, ever say that I don't know you. I'll never You can do anything. Jesus says, before the rooster crows three times, you'll deny me. Say he denies him. Sure enough, Peter denies Jesus. And we say, well, I will never deny Jesus. How many of us would say that? I'll never deny Jesus until the heat's on. Then maybe we'll deny him a little bit. We deny him in the shopping queue when we won't speak to the little old lady who's going to beat us over the head with an umbrella if we talk to her about Jesus. Friends, this denying Jesus, Peter John, I mean, when they'd finished eating, Jesus says to Simon Peter in John 21, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than you? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Third time, Simon, son of, of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? Jesus restores him. He says, man, I know what you did. But you, under forgiveness, under conviction, can be restored. A wonderful, amazing thing. Friends, conviction is a gift that Jesus gives us. God gave it to us when he sent his son. He sent him with conviction. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And what do you get? What emotion goes through you when you get a wonderful gift? Or any gift for that matter. It's the gift of joy. Joy comes upon you. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And uh, when we refuse to listen to the Holy Spirit's conviction, what's the first thing that goes? It's our joy. We cannot have joy when conviction is, is ignored. And uh, if you remember David, the story of David, so please go and read all these stories in, in 2 Samuel. David gets uh, King David, king of the Israelites, Sends his army out to battle. The Bible says that the kings went to war with their armies. Not David. David's got clever. He knows that God's with him. Sends his army out. Looks out of his window. Sees this beautiful woman bathing. And says, mm, that'll do for me. Commits adultery with Bathsheba. Wonderful idea of David. And uh, worse than that, she, not worse than that, but part of the process is that she falls pregnant. So he thinks, oh, my shit, now what? what a Charlie. No problem. I'll bring Uriah, her husband, back from the battle, and he can sleep with her, and he'll think it's his child. And Uriah says, not a chance. He's not going near his wife. How can he do that when the rest of his men are are in the battle? And long story short, Bathsheba is pregnant. So he says, okay, no problem. What I'll do, I'll make a plan. See, he knew he had sinned, he knew he was under this conviction of God and knew he had sinned. So he thought, well, what I'll do, I'll make a plan myself. And he gets Uriah killed. He gets Uriah sent to the front of the battle line. Uriah gets killed. And the, the head of the army sends a message back. Bad news, Uriah's dead. Don't worry, says David. Actually, good news for me, but don't, don't distress. Don't worry about it. And he didn't let that grief of sin take him to repentance. He started with adultery and friends, it got worse. As he tried to make a plan for himself, what happened? He commits murder. So from adultery to murder to what next? It's like pornography, friends. Pornography, pornography never starts with hardcore pornography. It always starts with softcore, cool a little bit of nakedness here and there, no problem, and it grows, and it grows, and it becomes hardcore, and it grows, and it grows, and you end up on death row, and every man on death row, literally when they did a study of it, was addicted to pornography, and it becomes worse, and murder gets committed, and it gets worse. David started with adultery, and it got to murder. Friends, that's how sin consumes us. It gets worse and worse and worse. It doesn't start worse. It starts bad and gets worse. That's just the way it is. And it's the way that it it went with, with David. And it's how we handle it that leads to condemnation or we let conviction break in. And there's no joy until we approach God with repentance. We end up sinning more and more in our failed attempt to find joy from our own world. And uh, it's an amazingly terrible thing. But Psalm 51 is the most beautiful Psalm or terrifying, depends if you're sinning or not. (laughs) If you're sinning, it's a good Psalm to read and get forgiveness. It's a beautiful Psalm. But in two... Samuel 12, you'll see the story, 11 and 12, you'll see the story I've just told you about. But in Psalm 51, so David has sinned. He's allowed conviction to come upon him. It's a radical thing. The the child is born to Bathsheba. Child gets born, and God takes the child from David. The child dies. Psalm 51 in verse 1 and 2, "'Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. Verse 4, "'Against you and you only have I sinned "'and done what is evil in your sight "'so that you are proved right when you speak "'and justified when you judge.'" Verse 7, "'Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. "'Wash me and I will be whiter than snow.'" Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Friends, God's discipline is hard. Don't kid yourself that it's an easy thing. I just repent, it's a happy day. It says here his bones were crushed. It's not always easy, but it's good. Create in me, in verse 10, a pure heart, O oh God, and renew my steadfast spirit within me. It's David's journey from going his own way all the way to murder, and coming back to repentance when the conviction of God breaks into him. It's a wonderfully freeing, unbelievably wonderful thing. And then his son dies and he fasts while the son is dying. He fasts and he prays and his, his servants, he sees, David looks up and he sees his servants whispering and he says to them, my son has died, hasn't he? And they're too scared to tell him, but they say, yes, your son has died. And it says in 2 Samuel 12 verse 20, he says, then David got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Conviction always leads to worship. Always. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it says, after he'd worshipped, he ate. I don't think we get that wrong. We just, I'm going to eat as much as I can. No, no, God's forgiven me. No, we worship, and then we eat. It's a beautiful, amazing thing. So friends, this morning... If you're feeling condemned and you don't know what to, where to go, conviction comes upon us and it shows us a way where we, if you just read through Psalm 51, that this conviction, this godly grief and repentance brings our joy back. It's a wonderful thing. So let me ask you these seven, seven things. Can you not seem to forgive yourself? I've, I've sinned again and again, I just can't forgive myself. If you feel that if people knew the real me, they would see that I'm bad. If people look and see me, they'll see that I'm bad. I'm never pleased with myself. I don't believe that God is pleased with me. I have a critical spirit towards others. I feel unworthy. I feel angry or frustrated towards myself. If you are feeling those feelings, you are under condemnation. It's a lovely start to the year, this preacher. <laughs> but honestly, friends, it is the most freeing, graceful message ever because the conviction of God leads to repentance and freedom. And we can live a life of 2024 free of Satan and his cohorts and his condemnation sitting upon us. Let's get free of that and live in the freedom of conviction this morning. Amen.